Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Chinese business magnate and billionaire Jack Ma is what Marxists would call a contradiction. He's come from nowhere, and he's really come to epitomise the capitalist face of communist China. But then he disappeared. Popping up weeks later on a short video, his location still undisclosed. So if Jack Ma is deemed to have risked that system, it would be not a big step to portray him as having sort of betrayed them. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today... The re-education of Jack Ma. So we don't know where Jack Ma has gone. We know that he was called in by the regulators on November the 2nd with senior executives from Alibaba to answer questions. The famously outspoken 56-year-old making headlines in October after delivering a speech critical of the Chinese government, accusing financial regulators of suffocating innovation and likening its banks to behaving like pawn shops. That was the last time he was heard of until he turned up in a video call on the 20th of January, nearly three months later. It was a short address, just 50 seconds. He was addressing a philanthropic organization, a rural teachers initiative organized by his own charitable foundation. He didn't say very much apart from the fact he was sorry not to be there in person, but was indicating that was because of the coronavirus. He was looking into the camera, looked quite relaxed, wearing a pullover with a sort of modern style watercolour painting behind him. He seemed to be in sort of quite pleasant residential sort of surroundings, but we don't know where he was and we don't know where he's been. The question is, is he keeping a low profile out of choice? He is being less visible purposefully. And you can expect that that will continue to be the case. Is he keeping a low profile because he's been ordered to keep a low profile? The billionaire and his team were summoned to Beijing for a dressing down. He hasn't been seen publicly since. Or has he actually been some form of detention? And could he, down the road, face the sorts of legal prosecutions that other billionaires who fall and foul of the system have? Many are questioning, where is Jack Ma? Speculation aside, the simple answer is we don't know where Chinese billionaire, tech entrepreneur and philanthropist Jack Ma is because this many months later, well into 2021, he's only been seen once in a 50-second video. Uh, Go on, make me jealous. What's the temperature there in Bangkok? 
Well, it dipped down below 20 degrees centigrade this morning when I was getting up, so it counts as um, a cold spell. The, uh, Philip Sherwell is the Asia correspondent for the Sunday Times. I'm, I'm based in Bangkok and I cover the continent from here and I've been doing so for the last four or five years. It's a lot of territory to cover for one correspondent. The Times, our daily colleagues, there's a number of them around the region. For the Sunday, it's a bit more of a sort of pick your story and run with it. For Philip Sherwell, one of the most intriguing of those stories is the mysterious disappearance of Chinese businessman Jack Ma. Jack Ma is the uh, most famous face of business, capitalism and entrepreneurship in China, and he has emerged as that face during China's incredible economic journey of the last 20 or 30 years, in his case more than 20 years. Jack Ma is the leading tech businessman in China. Back in 1999, he founded a company called Alibaba. Two decades later... It's a global giant, China's Amazon. And its success has made Jack Ma one of the wealthiest tech entrepreneurs in the world. He's worth an estimated $50 billion. He's come from nowhere and he's really come to epitomise the capitalist face of communist China. We might have a rubric for how this kind of business rise to almost uncountable wealth could happen in capitalist societies like the UK or the US. But how does someone like Jack Ma occur in communist China? It's a fascinating story. Jack Ma comes from a, a city called Hangzhou. His, his parents were traditional musicians, doesn't come from a business background, which many people didn't at that stage, but doesn't come from a party background either, which is where a lot of China's new entrepreneurs have emerged from, from their sort of their family party links. He taught himself English as a kid by speaking to tourists. Hangzhou is a bit of a tourist town. It's got a nice lake and canals and pagodas and temples. And he used to approach Western tourists and just practice his English. His conversations with travelling foreigners were so extensive that he became fluent in English. Now, that didn't help him with various college exams, which he failed along the way. It took him three times to get into college. But um, he did eventually get in there, emerged from college as an English language teacher. And that kind of exposed him to sort of influences in the 1990s that many Chinese people didn't have. He sort of started to look around at business opportunities. And um, on a trip to America in 1995, he sort of discovered this thing called the Internet. He actually would regale people with these stories of his early failures. One of the most notable ones that he would regale people with was that when he was at college and he was trying to find jobs to finance his life there, he got turned down by KFC. I applied for Harvard for 10 times rejected. When KFC came to China, come to my seat, 24 people went for the job. 23 people accepted. I was the only one guy. I think after you've become a billionaire, you can afford to tell stories like that about yourself. But it does suggest what you said about him is that he possesses that kind of intelligence, which is not easily measured by the academic world, but which really exerts itself in the world of business. Yeah, I mean, incredible business street smarts. He set up a, a few companies, some that succeeded, some that failed before he and a bunch of other sort of, you know, young, like-minded folks met around his kitchen table in his home city apartment where he he's continued to be based and where Alibaba, his empire is based. And they sort of bounced some ideas around and decided to launch this internet retail business. He had personally come up with the idea of the name Alibaba on one of his trips to America. And he was sort of seeing references to cafes and, and its name when he was in San Francisco. He sort of liked this idea that the open sesame motto opens up access to this trove of secret treasures. And so he seized on the name. When I see Alibaba, I immediately think of the 40 Thieves, a connection I'm not alone in making, it seems. 
one of Donald Trump's top advisors on China policy, Peter Navarro, his trade guy, recently noted that Jack Ma, like all Chinese tech entrepreneurs, had based his empire on stealing American ideas. Now, that's the claim of a China hawk, but he, he noted hence the the 40 thieves element of the Alibaba name. <laughs> As if Jack Ma should have waited for Amazon's permission. What kind of lifestyle does he lead? On the one hand, you know, he's still based in Hangzhou. I mean, he lives there with his girlfriend from college days who he married. And, and, you know, they have three adult children. And so, you know, the hometown boy made very, very good. On the other hand, he is a complete showman. He has great sort of swagger that really stands him out from most entrepreneurs in many places, certainly entrepreneurs in China and certainly in such a sort of quite a uniform society. And he has often appeared in company performance where he's turned up looking like Michael Jackson or Elton John, <laughs> where he's he's done sort of showbiz type numbers. He he sort of appeared in a mock mashup kung fu movie for a company show. He's got a rare combination of business know-how and absolute self-projection confidence. And it, it isn't one that you've necessarily guessed by looking at his physical demeanour. So you describe him as charismatic? Yes, absolutely. He can command a room. He's sort of very at ease with different audiences. He's very confident, um, overconfident, according to his critics. But he's a, he's a details guy, too. He's quite the combination. Now, how well known is he in China? I mean, is he really, really famous? And has he appeared on TV a lot? He's extremely famous in China. And I mean, the party has sort of heavily promoted him in years gone by as, you know, the face of digital China. He had never um, confirmed or denied questions and reports that he was a party member, but he was outed as party member in publications that were emphasizing an award he just got for his contribution to the digital economy. If I can do the same thing in Africa, I may be able to help. Jack Ma even has a TV show. I want to make this show very educational, very fun, and I want in the show to teach people how to do business. When I see the entrepreneurs in Africa, I wish I was born in Africa today that I can start my journey again next 20 years. It's a talent show for young entrepreneurs in Africa. The Apprentice, it isn't. It's part of Ma's personal philanthropy, help others succeed in countries where that's hard to do, particularly in Africa. So now, my age, the only thing I can do is support a lot of entrepreneurs in Africa. They can start their dream. They can start their journey. So it was that one of the big clues that something was very wrong came when Jack Ma failed to appear on his own show. For years, he has sort of travelled abroad as the Chinese government's de facto business representative to meetings with other countries in Southeast Asia. He's discussed their digital economies. A lot of critics in those Southeast Asian countries have feared that he was indeed a, the party rep trying to sort of lure them to, into ever closer associations with Beijing. He's sort of kind of lionised as this sort of rags to riches business star, which shows that, you know, if Jack can make it, anybody can make it. In that case, he has fulfilled quite a significant propaganda function for the Chinese government and the Chinese system, hasn't he? He's been an extremely important figure for the government and for a government that's been trying to reassure or assure international investors as it's emerged from the more hardline communist anti-capitalist days that it is open for business and that you know entrepreneurship and innovation can thrive in China. He played a very important role as the face of that. I mean, he's a sort of de facto ambassador for the opening up of China as a business boom zone. Jack Ma took wing and soared towards the sun, but perhaps began to get too close. Just to set some context, Jack Ma 
has had run-ins with the regulators and the Chinese government before. He really does support a fairly untrammeled sort of business operation. And he has expanded quite aggressively through his ant financial group into the world of money markets and credits and loans and really taking on the state-run banks and the financial regulators who are naturally risk-averse old grey men. So he's, he's pushed the limits frequently before, but you know, as we've discussed, he's also been a big plus for China. And so he's been able to get away with things that other business people might not have got away with. In late October, he was um, invited to give a speech to an elite audience of finance and political big names in Shanghai, in the country's financial capital. And he knew that coming down the track were um, tied to financial regulations, not you know just of his business, but of the tech and finance world generally. And they also were very worried about the spectre of financial instability and that if companies get too big and crash, what will that impact be? Xi Jinping is really, really, if he's scared of one thing more than anything, it's probably the prospect of a domestic financial upheaval that could threaten the party's reputation and, and indeed hold on power. So Jack Ma knew that the call for greater financial regulations was actually a policy from the very top. And by the very top, we mean Xi Jinping. And yet he came out on that stage in October and was fairly, didn't hold uh, much back in terms of sort of criticising the banking industry as being a legacy of an ancient era. Um, He said it had a pawn shop mentality. And he said the country's financial regulators didn't understand the internet and were stifling innovation. Presumably, he thought he could get away with it because he had before. And this time round, that speech just proved a step too far, a huge step across the line too far for the authorities, Xi Jinping in particular. Within a few days, Xi Jinping had ordered the cancellation of what was due to be the biggest um, initial public offering, flotation of a company in the world ever, which was of his Ant Financial Group. The Ant Group owns China's largest digital payment platform and runs a money market fund with hundreds of millions of users. Welcome back. I want to share some very big news that uh, has been developing this morning out of China. Ant Group had planned to start trading shares on November the 5th last year in Shanghai and Hong Kong. But just days before it was set for list, Shanghai Stock Exchange slammed on the brakes. Everyone was absolutely stunned when all of a sudden we were waiting for it and they just decided not to do it. The timing caused a lot of speculation. Was there a problem with them trying to basically teach a lesson to Jack Ma about being so outspoken. Ant's future would depend on China's banking regulators, the same ones Jack Ma had criticised a few days earlier. Here's Philip Sherwell again. It was done very abruptly, having previously been approved, and subsequently, you know, things got worse. Financial authorities announced an investigation of his Alibaba group for operating like a monopoly, in particular for requiring retailers to do business with it or nobody else. And they also announced they were looking into his Ant Financial Group, into its unregulated sort of operations in the finance industry. So he has had a very spectacular fall from grace on that front. There's some suggestion that the Chinese government was worried that he had become too big to fail, like some of the banks prior to the 2008 crash in the West. Yes, this this feeds into their sort of paranoia about financial instability. The whole, you know, if we take it as the whole sort of Alibaba family, it's just such a sort of huge operation that they just couldn't afford the risk that something on that scale could crash. That was one motivation, but there was another. China is the world's most 
authoritarian surveillance state in a league of its own when it comes to um, sort of monitoring its people. But um, through, you know, their incredible customer base, Alibaba and Alipay have great access to, you know, people's spending habits and how people live their lives. And the Chinese government wanted greater access to this. And Jack Ma has always pushed back against that. You gather more information on Chinese citizens than anyone else in the country. You mean me? Yes. Yeah. So when the Chinese government comes knocking on your door, asking for that information, how do you handle that? What do you do? Okay. We have a very strict process working with the government. If they want to do it, it's related with the national security, we we'll work together. Any country, any citizen, anywhere, you have to work. I believe Google has to do If the national security of the USA, Facebook has to do it, Alibaba will definitely have to do it. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day from China and everywhere else with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy it one month free. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. While all this was going on, stuff was going down in Hong Kong. On a side street, the police were still chasing the protesters. The officers jumping out of vans to tackle whoever they could catch. In some cases, violently. Mayhem keeping its momentum. The protesters thought that the one country, two systems model meant one thing, the Chinese government thought it meant something else entirely. Yes, well, the one country, two systems model was sort of agreed back in the days of Margaret Thatcher and Deng Xiaoping as the way that 
Hong Kong would be governed for 50 years after the um, handover from British rule to China in 1997. And it was an understanding that Hong Kong was part of China and, you know, Hong Kong wouldn't have a separate foreign policy or, or diplomatic policy. The freedoms of expression, of business, of speech, of the media in Hong Kong would be preserved and guaranteed for those 50 years. And that system in the last year or two, but really in the last few months, has been completely jettisoned. China now looms larger than ever in Hong Kong. For the first time, it has imposed a law carrying criminal penalties without any consultation. Within months or even weeks, any form of subversion will be outlawed and Chinese security forces could enter the city to end unrest. Xi Jinping, the Chinese leader, he became leader in 2013 of the country. He has been building up his power base since then. And he's now at the stage where he is not interested in challenges and no one, no place is untouchable. And just as Jack Ma has discovered, you know, there's no such thing as an untouchable businessman in China. So Hong Kong and the protesters in Hong Kong are discovering that their challenge to, to China's power is just something that Xi Jinping will not accept. The introduction of a new security law in recent weeks has effectively made dissent illegal. To practice the policy of opposition is essentially illegal, is what they've said. I mean, people who've been arrested recently were arrested because they took part in opposition primaries to choose candidates for elections that were subsequently banned last year under the guise of coronavirus prevention. So they were just taking part in a process to choose their candidates. But by actually sort of proposing that they would stand against the pro-Beijing authorities in Hong Kong and the pro-Beijing parties and hence oppose what those parties were doing in the name of sort of Xi Jinping was itself deemed to be possibly subversive under this national security law. It's a very sweeping law. And remember, this was introduced in, in the summer of last year because for the previous year, in 2019, the pro-democracy protests in, in Hong Kong had been an incredible example of what is often called people power. You know, the demonstrators were out on the streets in mass. The authorities kept thinking if they arrested a few more people or the police went in harder with tear gas and the likes, that, you know, that these crowds would dissipate. They also just sort of gambled the cliche that Hong Kongers would ultimately be more interested in, you know, in, in business and in commerce than in expressing their rights. The resilience and determination of that protest movement proved them wrong. But as things stand, the future is looking increasingly dire for pro-democracy activists in Hong Kong. One aspect on which there's been a, a sort of incredibly negative turn in the last few months is the crackdown on anyone trying to seek to cast any doubt on the official narrative about the handling of the coronavirus and the outbreak of coronavirus a year ago, in more than a year ago, in, in Wuhan. We've had independent citizen journalists who took themselves to Wuhan to sort of report during the lockdown about the horrors of what was going there and quoting a lot of doctors and medics about this sort of desperate situation. They've either sort of been detained and disappeared or, you know, one of them was recently sentenced to four years in prison for her work from Wuhan. In Xinjiang, which is in the west of China, which is the predominantly Muslim province where the sort of largest uh, local population is the ethnic Uyghurs, there have been these mass re-education camps, the forcible sterilization of Uyghur women, the use of forced labor in the fields to produce cotton and tomatoes that are exported to the world. In Inner Mongolia, there's been a uh, move to crack down on the use of Mongolian language in teaching and to require all teaching to be in Mandarin Chinese. 
So, you know, across the country, be it in the coronavirus epicenter of Wuhan or in some of these ethnic minority areas, Xi Jinping and his regime have been continuing to sort of exert their grip and, and again, solidify power and, and make clear that, you know, be it cultural or, um, you know, religious, never mind any you know, idea of political sort of alternative voices are, are unacceptable. Given this combustible context, could Jack Ma have taken one risk too many this time? I've spoken to some investors who've had dealings with Alibaba in the past. They don't think he will sort of next be seen in a courtroom sort of facing 20 years in prison. They don't know, but they don't think that. They think he's too important to the system. They think he will emerge with his wings severely clipped. They think he may emerge issuing some sort of public apology for overstepping the mark. There had been concern after he disappeared, you know, this is a man who so loves the spotlight, that maybe he was being held in a quite a strict form of detention and, and could be facing being investigated for financial crimes. He could well be still under what is essentially a form of home detention. There could be party comrades uh, in the room watching what he's recording, very probably. They may well have been lecturing him on his mistakes and sins. Is your impression that he's just too big a fish for the Chinese government, if you like, to do something really bad to, like put on trial or something like that? In other words, having used him as this kind of major propaganda figure for their success, presumably it isn't easy for them just to turn around and say, well, actually, he was a terrible person all the time and we're now going to try him. Well, you know... Uh at one level, China doesn't have a problem rewriting history and, and never has. But they've got a dilemma with Jack Ma. He's, he's such a big character, such a big individual, that both he is a challenge to Xi Jinping in a way that Xi Jinping is completely unaccustomed to. But as you say, also, he's too important to the system. They want to sort of cut him down to size, and yet they probably can't afford to lose him. That, that's, that's the most likely scenario. But they, they, they're really not used to dealing with people like this. You know, here is a man who has recently been lauded by the government as the face of digital China, and to then sort of require the Chinese population to sort of swallow the line that he was a bad guy all along is, is a challenge. But there are strong markers that he is being prepared for a fall. If Jack Ma is sort of deemed to have risked that system by, you know, not being willing to sort of listen to Xi Jinping about reigning in the wilder fringes of the financial tech world, then, you know, it would be not a big step to portray him as having sort of betrayed them. No, it sounds rather ominous the way you put it, actually. You know, when the commentators, the pro-state commentators are being primed to take you on, that doesn't happen by accident. Somebody's telling them to do that. And I imagine there's quite a message there to the rest of the kind of Chinese billionaire community, which is by all means make your money, but don't in any way buck the system. Yeah, that's it. She doesn't have a personal objection to people making billions. I mean, a, a lot of people around him have made billions. But what he cares about is that you're using that money in a way that somewhat supports and certainly doesn't undermine the party and the state's interests. And Ma had been operating on the edge of that line for years, and he is deemed to have stepped over it. That's the message. What's happened to his companies in this period? I mean, what's happened to Alibaba, for instance, uh, since uh, December when all this began? If you look at the share price of Alibaba, you can trace the drama of these last three months. They were um, sailing high until late October, until he gave the speech, until the IPO was cancelled. When the share price crashed 30% and wiped you know, tens of billions off the value of Alibaba, and it wiped a few billions off the um, personal net worth of Jack Ma. Now, again, you look at the share prices on October the 20th, over the, the lunchtime break, which is when this video was released on state television showing Jack Ma speaking to his foundation, price backed up jumped back up by about 10%. I mean, they're still significantly down on the value before the cancellation 
cancellation of the IPO. But you saw market confidence immediately reflect the fact that Jack Ma was at least, you know, alive and relatively well and sitting in maybe his front room. What message does this send out to business people and to governments outside China about China and its government? Investors, uh, particularly investors outside China and the governments that have been encouraging their companies to do, you know, business with China for so many years are looking on very nervously because, again, it sort of raises questions about rule of law issues. And it does suggest that when the party wants to move against business interests, the party's interests will be supreme and the party will move against business interests. This is only part of a sort of growing trend in recent years for the party to sort of want to sort of rein in some of the the big players in various industries. It sends a much bigger story about, you know, how the system works. And in Xi Jinping's China, who runs the show, then you have the much bigger sort of concerns of, you know, what's going on in Hong Kong, what's going on in Xinjiang, straightforward, you know, human rights atrocities in Xinjiang. And so overall, you've got a lot of countries, particularly Western countries that had previously been very keen to do business with China, who are really having the scales lifted and realising what they're dealing with. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Asia correspondent for The Sunday Times, Philip Sherwell. You can read more of Philip's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producers were Oliver Adamson and Leona Hamid. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. And sound design was by Carla Patella. Now, if you have a story you think we should be covering, maybe an idea for a future episode, or just thoughts on what you've heard, you can send us an email by writing to storiesofourtimesatthetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. 
That's stamps.com. Code program.